Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Risky Behavior, where no subject is off limits. Sit back, tune in, and enjoy a beverage with us as we explore controversial issues and answer your health and wellness-related concerns, ranging from nutrition and exercise to sex and prescription drugs. I'm here with co-host Dr. Shetha Chakraborty, who's a national media risk expert, as seen on CNN, the BBC, Fox News, and more. But don't just think this hour is all science as usual. After four seasons as a regular guest and food scientist on The Dr. Oz Show, Dr. Taylor Wallace, who the Huffington Post calls the nation's premier food and nutrition guru, will help me loosen lips and spill tea with special guests that you won't want to miss. So let's jump into the show. This week, coronavirus. What is a coronavirus and what is going on? What's the risk? Are we all going to get a coronavirus? I mean, I want to get a corona. Is it happy hour yet? I mean, you know, this coronavirus is kind of like coronas. There's several different types of coronaviruses. It's a really common virus that can infect your nasal cavities, your sinuses, and your upper throat. Most of them are actually not dangerous. Uh, But in early 2020, following a December 19 outbreak in China, the World Health Organization identified a new type of coronavirus. It's called the 2019 NCOV. So the thing about the coronavirus, what's interesting is that it's really from this family of viruses that included includes SARS, includes MERS, that's M-E-R-S, and these outbreaks were significant, and we've learned a lot since them. SARS broke out in 2002. It infected 8,098 people worldwide. It killed 774 of them, and it was part of the same family. So the fact that people are reacting makes a lot of sense given that we don't really fully know how these viruses behave once they are released into human populations. Will they mutate? Will we, will we be able to contain them? These are some very real questions when it comes to the spread of infectious disease. This is going to get to be a bigger and bigger thing as, frankly, overpopulation becomes an issue, which is right in your area of expertise. Right. So that's the thing. The reason This virus, coronavirus, and infectious disease in general is of concern, is potentially one of the number one risks um, for those who study risks in terms of what is going to impact mass populations of people, if not the entire human population, like a climate change or, you know, nuking the entire world. Or where does this fall? Where does infectious disease generally fall in that priority ranking? And most scientists would say number one, because think about it. If you get a disease that is really novel that we've not seen before and we don't know how to react to it, we don't know how to contain it. You are talking about four major trends, including overpopulation that you just said, that can really impact every single one of us. Nobody is truly isolated from anyone and not if there is like a mutant infectious disease that's raging through the through the populations. So urbanization, increased urbanization, people live really closely together, share a lot of food sources, have a lot of interaction. Then they're getting on planes, there's transport flying all over the world. So it's even harder to then track down and figure out where a virus like this initially started, even though we have an idea in this case. But imagine again, a scenario where we might not know. And then we have increased number of people on the planet that want to eat more protein. So how are we going to feed 9.8 billion people by 2050 because the population is increasing steadily? Therefore, it's really ripe in terms of trends to have an outbreak that really we can't control that moves really rapidly through the entire global population. Particularly through animal-derived foods, right? Because when livestock production goes up, you know, food sanitation is a big issue. 
all over the world. It's very easy for these types of viruses that likely do originate from animals uh, to spread to humans. And then again, like you said, that close contact. I mean, natural selection says eventually overpopulation will take care of itself. I mean, if you look back, you know, hundreds of years ago to the bubonic plague in Europe, technology has really saved us from a lot of this stuff. You know, if you had virus that could travel, you know, through the air or through the water, something like that, you've got a big issue on your hands and scientists might not be able to tackle it quick enough at this point. Yeah, and that's right. But that's why it's so important to be proactive about preventing this type of disease rather than trying to contain it once it's already out there. And there's organizations that do exactly that. The reason we don't hear about infectious disease as much as potentially we could is because of the good work of field epidemiologists and other scientists and doctors working closely around the world, having these surveillance and mitigation centers set up to prevent against exactly this kind of outbreak. The work by EcoHealth Alliance, and I, I'm very proud to be affiliated with this group, is incredible. They've identified potentially 1.67 million unknown pandemics, and they are out there. They reside quietly in animals, don't cause harm to the animals that they um, reside in, but potentially can jump to humans. Like you were saying, this comes easily. You can have uh, zoonotic disease transfer from camels, porcupines, these types of animals that we don't traditionally interact with. But because man-made climate change is rapidly changing the environment around us and humans are interacting differently and uniquely with unique species that we haven't in the past, plus we're using them for wildlife trade, we're using them for food consumption, which we haven't always done. We're, we've again created an environment that's ripe potentially to see a disease emerge that was you know, just sitting quietly in a host, it's very possible that there is something similar that just hasn't made its emergence yet, but could really ransack our health. And so I should mention two things. One, there's no current vaccine. However, the National Institutes of Health here in the U.S. is currently working on developing a treatment and a vaccine for this. Testing has to be done for safety first, since, you know, it's, it's not widespread, at least in the U.S. yet. If it's safe, it would be there would be testing to see, you know, how effective it is. The second thing that I think most people want to know about is what are the symptoms, which they're very similar to what I would consider like the flu, coughing, fever, shortness of breath. It usually appears within two to 14 days after you've been exposed to the virus. So it's really important for you to be cautious out there. Right. And it's really important to talk about not just what we need to do and how to be cautious once a disease is already out. That's obviously part of it, but that costs us billions of dollars, right? Us being cautious, what you just described as our individual human behaviors, of course, common sense, we definitely have to do that. But also governments have to be cautious to try and uh, reduce its spread. You are seeing quarantines and you're seeing restricted travel. You're seeing complete just um, breakdown of transportation channels and distribution channels. What does that mean for the global economy? SARS cost back in early 2000s, $50 billion. How much is coronavirus going to ultimately cost? Probably upwards of that amount. So there are some real consequences to taking these actions after the fact, after these outbreaks have already happened. What we really need to think about is how to stop it in the first place. We just, we need to be proactive and we need to be preventative. And the time to talk about prevention, a lot of people will argue and say is not now because 
Now we're in the midst of containment. We're in the midst of trying to make sure it doesn't get worse than it is. But I would argue, and I think you'll probably agree with me, Taylor, but feel free to disagree with me, which you love to do, but there's no wine here at the moment. So it's, we're going to be much more sensitive than we would usually be. Um, we need to talk about how to prevent this now. I don't want to wait until this has kind of been controlled because that's when people aren't paying attention. Right now is the best time to give people information they need to ensure that this kind of thing doesn't happen again. This is when you communicate so you get behavioral change. We don't need human beings interacting with these animals for the purpose of wildlife Transition. trade. <laughs> wildlife trade. Do, do we really need a pet porcupine, right? Do we really need monkeys? Do we really need to like have these exotic animals being used in ways that aren't traditionally <laughs> used? We don't need fur. We don't need, I mean, we don't need exotic animal <laughs> trades. We don't need to eat some of these animals that we've never really figured out how to, how to handle safely. So this is the time to talk about cultural practices, even if it's uncomfortable. And even if it might be controversial, now is the time to change human behavior. So we don't have one point, one of these 1.67 million viruses emerge again. Well, I think this goes to the bigger picture. We have to start talking about overpopulation. I mean, we just have to, because it, like you said, anytime you're in a condensed area where there's a lot of people, I mean, natural selection's a thing. We've known this for hundreds of years now, and we're going to have to figure out if we're going to soon have a population of 11 billion logistically, how that's going to work for us. That's a wrap for today. Have ideas for the show? Tweet us at Dr. Taylor Wallace. That's D-R-T-A-Y-L-O-R-W-A-L-L-A-C-E. And at Shetha C. That's S-W-E-T-A-C. Thank you for tuning in to Risky Behavior. Until next time.